Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the everyone and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International, the first of two hours of Ghost Chronicles Radio. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable, the man with no Skypes, evidently. With me, my co-host, all the way from the <coughs> land of lockdown, is the gold standard in ghost hunting, Steve Parsons. Uh, yeah, that was a surprise. I was I was just clearing my throat, ready to introduce the show because there was no sign of you, and then up you popped. Yeah, actually, uh, for some reason, my Skype is not working. Ah, uh, that'll be that'll be because of that picture. Ah, there you go. Yeah, that so account like, one or the other. That that or the fact that you were, I don't know maybe maybe not not enough people voted for it for your Skype. I don't know. There we are. Yeah. So, Anyways, yeah, I'm... Cool. Go, Go ahead. On. Go on. No, I was waiting for you. You're the host. Anyways, before we do go on uh, and yeah. introduce our guest, uh, I'd like to uh, give a shout-out to uh, Quinn Doobie, the latest uh, patron of the show. Uh, oh, he is. bless him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you could be a patron, too, if you just go on and sign up for it. You get I'm not going to be a patron. Uh, stuff you can't get anywhere else. You won't hear anywhere else. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to Craig De Grout, which uh, he upped his uh, patron ships out of the clear blue. So I'll take that. And of course, uh, Anna LaRoche, uh, Anna Israel, Isabel Rocha, and Susan Brown. So thank you guys. Welcome aboard. Make the show um, happen. We need to just um, we we need to chat amongst ourselves for a moment because our guest has just informed me that he will be right back in about a minute's time. Oh, that's nice. So there we are. Yeah. So what's happening? You know, over it, there? It's a, you know, it's so you, good. You are you are seriously you messing with our new radio our television. Show, you know? What 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 you're talking over me? I, I was asking so you. Important. you are... I mean, it's so nice to be so important. You can just blow off the radio show. You know. No, he's probably gone to attend to his small person. So, yeah, so all of our television channels today, we've had no depressing COVID news because um, your bloody presidency is hogging election. it. Yeah, it's driving us mad. Will you hurry up over there and sort this mess out? It won't be. It'll be days. I mean, someone will come up and uh, looks like right now, I guess the latest is it's going to be Biden, but there's going to be challenges. So that's going to take a few days, too. And yeah, it's uh, yeah, it'll be a mess for a while. Oh, well, there we are. Well, we can introduce our guest now. He's back. Oh, he's back. Really? Came out of the tank? Uh, Whatever he was doing. So without further ado, do you want me to introduce him? Why don't you? Well, there we are. Um, Yeah, I, I, I... good friend and colleague of mine, co-author of Paracoustics with me, and uh, maybe one day we'll get Paravision done as well. But uh, 
I've got to get this. I've got to get this title right. It's not just Doctor Cal Cooper. No. It's Doctor Doctor Callum E. Cooper from the University of Northampton. Good evening, Cal. We are not it's Lord Va- Lord Vader of Cheam. Actually, added onto the end as well. Friend. No, Aww. don't don't Bless don't you. start don't start that because Ron will only point out he's got one of these bits of paper that. Yes, I am a lot, just in case you weren't aware of it. See what you started now. Lord Ronald Colick. Yep. Lord uh, Ronald J. Colick of uh, Chelmsford, I believe it is. I'll have to check that. I have so many of them, it's it's just amazing. They give me titles left and right. Yeah, I can give you a few titles. but uh, (laughs) You probably have. It's been been quite a while. Well, I think... I was going to say it's been quite a while since we had him on this show, but Cal was on my other show last week. So, uh, But it has been a long time since uh-huh. uh, Cal joined us on Ghost Chronicles International. It's uh, been an even longer time since I co-hosted it. That was it a long time ago. Yeah, and, he, and, and is primarily... Oh, hello, I think Ron's on Skype now, finally. Oh. Uh, let me just check. Oh, it says he is. Um, anyway, <laughs> we'll... We'll press on while he messes about with his microphone. Um, yeah, you were, and you're you're actually the reason why I'm the co-host and have been since 2012. God, can you believe it's been that long? Mm. When I was, I was only your mere standing. You were a very useful standing for usually when the yeah, show you was never here. <laughs> I was driving a car probably on the moor somewhere or something like that. So I was you in doing, a, yeah, you were you were sitting in a car doing riding his motorcycle. More than likely. Hello, no, there, there he is. I wish I was. There we go. Massachusetts has rejoined the 20th century, 21st century. Here I'm going back. Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Oh, God, we're just like the Bee Gees, all three of us. Which is so great. The harmonizer was awesome, Cal. You've got to do it with a squeaky voice, though, haven't you? No, that's not, well, one of them, but yeah. Yeah, Someone someone pulls something. It was those really really tight white trousers that they used to wear. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, Cal, uh, now Ron's joined us. I, I was going to ask you, I was going to kick the ball off by saying. What have you been? Uh, first of all, uh, when we were like, when you were last on Ghost Chronicles International, you were Doctor Callum E. Cooper. Now you are Doctor Doctor Callum E. Cooper. Can you be a Doctor Doctor? Well, you can be more I, than I've that. If find... you really wanted to. How doctor, did that Doctor 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 Doctor? How did that come about? <laughs> How did that come about? Would you help me, Doctor Beat? Doc, 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 the beat. <laughs> it's going to be a singing show. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's going to be one of them shows. One of those. Um, that came this about. This is why we have academics on the show, ladies and gentlemen, because they bring a degree of brevity to the proceedings. Uh, I, I came up with. I've got several colleagues that have all spread out. They're, they're not just at the University of Northampton that had more than one doctorate. And um, my. I, is this inadequacy? No, that, that they were in completely, completely different fields. I mean, um, one, uh, I don't think one chemistry and psychology was one, and then another one was theology and philosophy, uh, even though those ones are, are fairly linked, but the two topics yeah. that they looked at were different. And then uh, one was politics, economics, and sociology as well. These um, people not got normal day jobs, at, you know. Well, like, they've got academic positions, but the only I, I was kind of moving forward in my career and positions at the university, and it was the only reason, the main reason that drove me forward to do it was political. Um, 
And then I came up with, well, what could you do besides using it to kind of get back at, you know, systems, really? <laughs> um, and so uh, I came up with other reasons. of If I wrote something, how would it be original so I could actually use it for something as well? And where's your justification for it being any different than the PhD you already have? And so my first PhD um, is essentially um, thanatology. It's a study of death, dying, and bereavement. It's in the title on my degree um, certificate that it's um, looking at death-related experiences, and the subtitle is um, An Examination of Bereavement and Recovery. Hang on, I want to just clarify. So when yeah, I introduce I, you as a parapsychologist, am I now to change that to a thanatologist? Well, because on, last, on, 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 on the West Files, you caused mayhem by introducing my other co-host to psychical phenomenologist. Right. Well, that wasn't my fault for doing that. You brought up psychical phenomenologists. I mentioned phenomenology. Then you mentioned this particular psychical phenomenologist. Yes, yeah, so we've, we've got to have on the show next month now because of that. But, um, anyway, are you a thanatologist? I think by the because my my original degree is in psychology. So first and foremost, I am a psychologist. God, it's like listening to a politician. Are you a thanatologist? Yes. Answer yes, the question. I would, I would argue yes, I am. I don't want so you to that, argue yes or no. I want a straight okay, answer to the question. Straight non-political answer. Yes, I am. Thank you. So because does that mean you're not a parapsychologist anymore? I am because um, uh, <laughs> all of my dissertations, so my undergraduate dissertation, my master's dissertation, some of the work within the first PhD discusses a lot of psychical research and parapsychology literature, and then the second PhD is purely parapsychology. It's nothing else uh -huh. but. So are yeah. you a thanatoparapsychologist? Oh, that's getting into dodgy territory. That's a, that's a whole new type, a thanatoparapsychologist. Uh, 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 yeah. Or, that, would, uh, that, that would give a psychical phenomenologist a run for the money. Parathanatologist. No, 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 no. Thanatoparapsychologist. Oh, dear. That's much Get better. your coat. <laughs> right. Sorry, Ron, you were about to ask a really intelligent question. No, that was that was so much more important of anything I could have possibly well, we've got said. To, we've got to get the guest's entitlement right. Right. So, Fred, Dr. Cowan, this is the, the part I wanted to make perfectly clear. It's it's a it's a really a, a narrow, um, uh, let's see, a narrow, I can't think of the words now, narrow, uh, I was going to say training, but... Uh, education in a particular oh god my brain's not working today otherwise you're working on just one particular thing when you get your degree it's in that particular for instance mm -hmm. uh, um if could you get a say you were a you had a biology could you get a doctorate in uh earthworm biology um, yeah absolutely i could get a doctorate based on you I mean, if I had grounds for studying you as a person and your life and your work and heritage and things like that, I could do. And um, so a, a doctorate, a PhD, a master's of philosophy, um, most research-based degrees are just that. It's research. And if you've got grounds to that's, say that you, 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 have, you have studied something um, to such a, a level, you either want to from scratch or you've already done it because of books and chapters and peer-reviewed papers you've had out. Ow! Can... Ow! I felt that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't I even got thinking the hint. of that. But the, I but got the, the hint. The owl brought me back to it. But, 
you, you can do it that way. If you can show that you've got those reasonable grounds to actually do something. That, that's where all that stupid argument came up where you find YouTube videos saying the 10 most pointless degrees that you can have. And they come up with different things saying, oh, you can get a degree in David Beckham. Like, now, let's be clear here. Are we talking about an actual taught master's degree where there's um, 12 or so taught modules that they've had to break down? and then a dissertation that they hope they will, you will focus on some aspect of David Beckham. Or are we just talking about there's a university where there's a researcher interest in the life and work of David Beckham, and therefore if you go to them, you can yeah. do a PhD with them because they are the specialist and they can help you. It's completely different. That's not a standalone degree in David Beckham. And the so past, when people, though, these sort of people used to just appear on Mastermind, didn't they? You know, like, oh, my specialist yeah. subject this week is Lego bricks. <laughs> Hinges for wooden doors from 1873 to so 1875. So you could become a, a rhinologist, right? Yeah, technically, you could, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. been people that have done PhDs on just one, you know, a person. They've essentially decided instead of writing a biography of someone, they want to do it in the form of a, an actual research degree. But then that's the basis for then saying, well, that was the thing I got challenged on. I know that if people formally challenge me and it goes through an academic system, then I can then make that more publicly accessible. That's your job. If you've gone to the top and you can challenge the, the kind of the, the big dogs, then your skill from there on should be how can you take what you know and can talk to the big dogs about and translate that in any way that you can speak to any audience about it. You can shift from an academic tone to a public tone and back again. And so, again, the reason for me doing the second doctorate was here is a formal document that outlines a portfolio of work that I did over 10 years from books to chapters to peer-reviewed papers, but in between sewing it together as a commentary explaining it. So that's the new material. And I thought, you know what, do that. I can play around with ideas I've always wanted to play around with. Go and have my examination. I had two hours of being scrutinized by uh, two people that my uh, supervisor selected for me. Um, so one internal, one came from a different university. And um, then thought, you know, great, I really enjoyed that, I enjoyed the challenge, but now that material's there waiting, and I submitted that uh, thesis to the SPR library as well, so it sat there, but I, I will use it for something. It will be used in a later publication. I'll turn it into something. Mm -hmm. I think we've got a bigger cover for Paravision now, aren't we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to fit all of your um, qualifications. Titles in, yeah. You don't do so, that so much, though, and you just do that as some sort of rebellious thing for yourself. No one else realises you're doing it. Like when you see all the listing for all the council members, you're the only one there without letters after his name. And we all know very well you've got letters after his name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, BS, as, 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 and, as, and, as and when I rise to the bait and finish my PhD next year. Um... Yeah, but why not the others? Because I don't know if people well, that are listening to the show know, but you, your background is in nursing. And, and you were one of the, as you yes. told me, one of I the first. I have a degree in it. One of the first people, though, to receive as yes. they started to make them rather than registered nurse, it was yes. going down the degree route. Yes, I have a, I have a, I have two degrees already. Mm. And the second one is, if the audience uh, no, it's ordered? a secret. It's a secret. Oh. Mm. But it involves, it, it involves archaeology. Does it? Mm. I thought it involved physics. No. Oh, Not okay. Only. That, that, hmm. That's that's um, a vocational qualification that's equivalent to a degree. Is this is oh, okay. Is the second one from the University of Liverpool? No. Is it? Oh, okay. No, I got it for twenty-five dollars off the internet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> 
Para-archaeology, there we go. No, my, my, my engineering qualifications, um, or my physics-related qualifications, specifically are, um, they're, 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 they're actually a degree equivalent, um, because they're at the same level, but they're a vocation. In Britain, for the Americans, we, you can get two sets of qualifications. You can either go to academia and not work, or you can work and get qualifications in uh, in other settings. They're called vocational qualifications, but they're also they're equivalents to one another. Yeah. And my my other formal qualification is in industrial measurement and control. Yeah. Which is uh, a clever way of saying I can measure stuff with a very high degree of accuracy. My dad did that in a way because he doesn't have a, a BA or a BSc, but he went to Nottingham Trent University when it was the Polytechnic. Mm -hmm. And he set up his own textile company, but he did the C-Tech ATI. So he was mm -hmm. a charter member of the Textile Institute. So he's got this very long scrolled certificate, yeah. which was five years of apprenticeship and exams and coursework and That's stuff right. like that all through the university. So he went and had his gown and graduation and no cap, but yeah. his title then was C-Tech ATI. So Do you realize we talked talk almost 20 minutes of the show about degrees? Well, yeah. it's just my, nice catch up, really. I mean, this my, is, mine would be this my, long. We've got to start from scratch yeah. and just have my, a general. My my, uh, my vocational one is a BTEC, uh, which was the 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 industrial version of CTEC. There mm. were several of these techs that were around in the day. Uh, mm. the, they they followed up from the HNC and HNDs. The audience okay. still awake. Since, yeah. Since, Ghost Chronicles. Can we talk a little bit about parapsychology? I mean, well, actually, we, we, textile chronicles. But Ron, Next we week, kind Tartan. we we kind of are because, and and it's an important thing to establish that there is. <laughs> yeah. It's often said. It's often said and often claimed that there are no experts in the paranormal, which of course ooh, is ooh. is correct. But there are. You can have expertise in areas that are related to and form part of the study of people's experiences. Um, and that's what we were establishing, that we might be, you know, I, I call myself a ghost hunter. I call Cal lots of other things. But, you know, we have qualifications that allow us to do and say things that, uh, in a particular way. So you know, let, me, let me ask you guys this, then. In, in, order to start, in order to study the paranormal, don't yeah. you have to be pretty much an expert on the normal? Well, in fact, I would say that my t my pair of qualifications, the, the two I count, um, the the um, industrial process, industrial measurement and control, uh, which looks at measuring systems, it flows, pressures, temperatures, um, all manner of things that go through an industrial process, specifically to the petrochemical industry. Um, and my second qualification, which is in nursing, general nursing, um, which is looking at people and bodily systems and, the, you know, all of the things that, you know, that I would have understood would relate to bereavement. You know, the process of dying, the process of living, the process of mm -hmm. measuring a heartbeat or looking at, you know, what is a, what constitute normal well conditions for a human body or abnormal conditions for a human So that's, I think that's actually a perfectly, mm. uh, probably the most perfect set of qualifications you could have to explore the paradigm. 
No, I you, think you don't. No, honestly, don't have, I think they are. You don't have to have them. I mean, I mean, no. like they do help, and what you've just laid out is a very good grounds for how they do help. But then you you have a lot of classical psychical researchers yeah, needed. Yes, you need, you need psychology people. as well, don't you, Cal? You don't necessarily have to, but because, you have psychology uh, well, in nursing, Rob. Yeah, uh, but you like there are a lot of people within classical psychical research history, and some people that were people refer to them as parapsychologists mm-hmm. and people are accepting of it because they were just so well read. But the key thing at the very bottom of all that, what did they all need that they didn't necessarily have to read about or go to university with? It was just showing good um, knowledge and abilities for just critically thinking through things, looking at all yeah. the possible alternatives. Yeah. And and so if you can start with that, you don't need the university route. There are some very good psychical researchers that didn't have any letters to their name, but they knew how to pick up a book now and then, and they knew how to think outside the box and inside the box as well. So they were looking at all the possible alternatives, all the conventional explanations, and then being open to dabbling with the alternatives as well. So that's what made them so good. I mean, I... I suppose, I mean, one person that you've probably forever leaned back to on this show would be Harry Price, but I can't remember what background, if anything, he had. He did. He was a member of something. He was a fellow of something. It wasn't the Royal Society. He, 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 he had engineering qualifications. Oh, so, oh, he, right. he, he worked primarily in the paper industry. Ah, there we go. But, Just like um, your father. So probably not... Uh, well, <laughs> textile instead so of the, the paper. paper. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, There'll be some people. I mean, Raymond Bayliss is one example. He was a landscape painter, and, and that's how he made his, his living. But he was a very good field investigator just because of the the way that he thought, and he was also very well-read as well. But as, as Steve has said, nursing includes psychology as well and understanding mm-hmm. people, and, um, and then human physiology comes along with it as well. Um, I, I've got a kind of whole host of, of different qualifications, my near five degrees with um, education, psychology, research methods, death, dying, and bereavement, parapsychology. Um, so I've got a lot of things in there, and it also yeah. includes history and philosophy as well. Yeah. I mean, that's in Soro, that's like my degree in, in uh, environmental science because it's exactly. a BA, which mm-hmm. I had to study psychology, sociology, history. Well, I have a minor in history but uh, and um, literature as well, but it's – the idea of understanding what the world is in order to uh, try to understand it doesn't what doesn't fit into that particular mold. Other well, words, actually, yeah, go ahead. I mean, you, 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 you're absolutely right. And um, I was just thinking back to one of the, the basic tenets of archaeology, um, which is you always start with the known and work from the known to the unknown. You don't start, like a lot of ghost hunters do, in the unknown and then speculate and run over the hills and far away. Which is essentially Occam's razor. (laughs) (laughs) Start from the beginning and then start steadily working your way out with those steps. And the least that you need to take, then the better. The problem with Occam's razor um, is that it it can be turned around and is turned around by um, some people Mm -hmm. because they... Because Occam's razor basically says that the the simplest explanation is usually the correct one. And people find it far simpler to believe that their experiences are caused by a paranormal entity or interaction or manifestation rather Mm -hmm. than some obscure branch of of physics, um, you know, that they can't experience. It's like 
it's like you get this with flat earthers. You get this idea of, well, I don't care. I can only see it as flat. Even when mm-hmm. I go in an aeroplane, the earth looks flat. I trust my senses. I trust what I'm seeing. Therefore, Occam's razor applies. The mm. simplest explanation is it looks flat, therefore it is flat, therefore the Earth is flat. Yeah, well, but you I'll, can also... Go ahead, Kel, I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say, you'll be seeing it before long when I, I send it to you as an example in my, my second PhD, because I, I talked about the uses and abuses of Occam's razor. It has been mentioned now and then in parapsychology. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I talked about was, well, to find the best cases, sometimes you need this filtration process to attempt to find your white crow. And, uh, you know, how good are the grounds for having that white crow? But I said in some instances, even though we're trying to not jump instantly into the domain of it being something like extrasensory perception at play or survival of death, we've got to look for these conventional explanations. But surely some of those instances of potential ESP or even survival could actually be the explanation. But as it stands in conventional science and where we are now, because we don't understand the process... Mm-hmm. Um, we, we can't make that leap. But if we understood that process, it might be a closer leap than any other conventional explanation that at present seems to work. So uh, what I mentioned within my commentary was Occam's razor cannot be universally applied to all the sciences. And I think it's one of the worst applications, um, especially when you apply it to psychology in many ways. And that includes strange experiences as well. Um, so it doesn't always work. Um, so I'm, I'm agreeing with you there on what you've said. I, I've already written about those uses and abuses that mm-hmm. have gone on. Hey, yeah, we're, we're coming up to the break yeah, yeah. now. Who, so. who's, yeah, yeah. who's the show brought to us by, Ron? Just but before we again. do that, uh, Cal... <laughs> Ginster's I mean, Pasties. <laughs> yes. Before is we there do a song that, Cal, in there? a quick question is, is how did you... I mean, what, what led you into the paranormal field, uh, the parapsychology field? Um, you. Um, I, I had this... <laughs> Unusual dream one night of uh, this man wearing baseball caps um, with a very particular tone in his voice. And um, and then when I woke, I just thought um, I, w- I want to be like him, especially the genes. And, yeah. um, that and then eventually our paths crossed. And I just thought, wow, you know, it's... So um, you just stick to Ginster's pasties and move on. Yeah. Oh, anyway... <laughs> That was I, that was uh, brilliant. Sponsored by the <laughs> pack. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, yeah, thanks, Cal. Uh, just made me feel so good. You know, I'm I won't be able to sleep tonight. Oh, God. <laughs> anyways, uh, isn't Jan around to bring you back to Earth? No. Today's show is brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street, in Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Gallant Messier Family Law Group. So, if you want to sue someone, go see them. Jurex, so, keeping you safe through 2020. <laughs> Actually, if you want to sue someone, um, yeah, that, that's all the rage now in America. Or it oh, will we, be we, in, yeah, in the next week. That's our second nature, sue someone. Well, yeah, I mean, this next week, I mean, yeah, let's all head off to the Supreme Court. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll and just... party! And cue the magic roundabout theme tune. Yeah, but anyway. They, they don't get but, that one in America, Cal. So anyway, I'm still listening to Ghost Chronicles International uh, with Steve Parson and Ron Kolick, and our very special guest today is my former co-host, the rock parapsychologist, now the aquatic parapsychologist, and I'd like to talk about that when we get back. Mr. Cal Cooper will be right back after the following messages.
Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give the awards to the Parrax family. Back to part two of Ghost Chronicles International uh, with your main host, Ron Kolak, New England's own Van Helsing. Me uh, coming out of lockdown quite soon. Are you? uh, Yeah, where'd you out on Monday? Uh, In Wales, our lockdown is over on Monday and just going in. No. And just going into the four week lockdown in Englandshire is Dr. 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 Callum Cooper. Doesn't really affect me. Universities are still open. <laughs> yeah, but does this mean now that? Well, I mean, Ron was Ron was obviously going to inquire about this, and I'm kind of intrigued about these. How often they change the water in these flotation tanks? Um, if it was a commercial centre, I'd say every couple of weeks or so. Arm, right. <laughs> um, but that yeah. they are said again. They are completely different though to what we're going to use, what we've purchased. These, the ones that the commercial. So he's dodging the. He is. He is. How often no, do no, no, you no, change no. the water in that flotation tank at Northampton? The one that we're going to use. <laughs> no, the one that you've no, the one you did use. <laughs> the one that I did use that wasn't mine. It was a commercial centre. A commercial centre is where you go in and it doesn't belong to you. You rent That's time in it. You? Oh, God. Yes. Probably every two weeks because they have a no. massive filtration unit behind them. Doesn't matter. A really, st- really large one. They filter every float- hour. You're still floating around in human soup. But it's highly Ashley. concentrate with magnesium sulfate. So I, don't care what, I don't care if you put pepper and Tabasco in it. It's still human soup. Whatever. Well, not quite. The human soup gets sucked into the filter at the back and you get rid of right. it and then you put a new fresh filter in. We are going to die of something anyway, so what the hell? Yeah, exactly. Ooh. So it, it's far healthier than all the family sharing about. So for those who don't know what we're talking about, Cal, would you explain what you were doing and, and what's happening? Mm. Well, I got the idea from the fact that... Um, Steve, when he has his bath, usually after a show, likes to put bath salts in his bath. And one day, he knocked a whole bottle of the stuff into his bath. 
and realised that he couldn't properly have a bath because he was more or less floating on the surface. <laughs> and I thought, oh, now that's an interesting idea because um, he likes to shoot pigeons out of his window with his air pistol. And mm-hmm. uh, he slipped and he shot sorry. the light bulb. So sorry. darkness and... Sorry. Um, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Air pistol. Air uh, pistol. You're telling uh, someone who has a longbow that they shoot with an air pistol. All right, then. Um, you were usually leaning out the bathroom window with your longbow to shoot That's pigeons. better. You accidentally hit the light bulb. So in darkness, you were floating on the surface of the water in your bath and you couldn't reach to turn the hot tub <laughs> on, so it's quite lukewarm, and you discovered, actually, this is quite interesting. I'm having hallucinations and um, it's quite pleasant. But unfortunately, Sauna beat Steve to the post because in the 1950s, a guy called John Lilly and Peter Sudfeld, they were looking at the impact of sensory deprivation um, underwater. And um, when they did this, they found some interesting results about that, how people would lose a sense of time and it was playing with their sense of consciousness. How they drowned. Uh, we're in more or less a suspended suit with a, a diving bell type helmet. Um, there's a film that was sort of based on this called The Mindbenders with Dirk Bogard that oh, came yeah. out in uh, 1962 or so. And Mary Year as well, who was the wife of Robert Shaw, um, the actor from Jaws and the taking of Pelham 123 and The Sting and many others. And... Um, in that, it, it more or less leans on what Lily was doing, but then um, afterwards, Lily adopted using Epsom salts, so very much like floating in the Dead Sea. You've got this high concentrate of salt, so you don't sink in the water, you float. It doesn't matter what size, weight, shape you are, how you lay in the water, you will float. And it's very trippy because it's like having an instant out-of-body experience, and you can push your hands into the water and feel underneath you. You do feel the resistance of the water. This then developed into um, universities and institutes using these tanks and then they became commercialized as well. Um, But from the research they were doing on these altered states and trying to explore the limits to the mind and what altered states consciousness can actually do and what these hallucinations do for you, then psychology was steadily starting to say, well, what are the benefits of floating in the dark and having these visions? And um, parapsychology dabbled with it a tiny little bit Uh, A few people like Stephen Schwartz had used it with his Mobius group, which was a group of uh, remote viewers. Um, Guy Lyon Playfair had done it after he'd done some Gansfeld studies with Carl Sargent as a participant. Um, Charlie Tart, um, Professor Charlie Tart, he was interested in it and sort of dabbled with the ideas but didn't really write about it. Um, It was only D. Scott Rogo who'd done a very, very small pilot study on it. And besides that, I've been to numerous SPR conferences, Society for Psychical Research, where in our downtime, when we're having drinks, having lunch, um, people would joke about universities getting them. And I didn't understand why that was a funny prospect, besides the the fact that you'd have to get a a whole room for them. And they were quite expensive to run. But I thought, well, if you could get around those two issues, why not? Because we've been using the Gansfeld for so long. So lying back in a reclining chair with red light and headphones on, listening to static, and overall they've got a really good effect. So why not the flotation tank? So we took that forward and did a brand new pilot in 2016. There we go. So first of all, I never knew there were actually commercial places you could go for these things. That's kind of cool. Oh, loads, loads and loads and loads. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should have one local to you. I I wouldn't be surprised if there were several. I've got to get out more often. Mm. Once they let me out of the home. You've got a river opposite you. 
has to too. And it's, it's enough, pollu enough pollutions in there that I should float easily anyway. It's, prob it's, prob it's probably cleaner than one of those tanks by the end. Mm. No. Just so, take yourself to some ropes, float in the water, and get St. Jan to go further upstream and just pour some salt in so it reaches you by the time it's swept down. So, Kel, I mean, you started this. How long was the experiment itself? And, and were you the only participant? Uh, for the pilot, yeah, I was the only person going in. We did 12 trials, and that was 12 trials between um, 2016 and um, the end of 2018. Um, so it took a long time just because it was myself and Dr. David Saunders, who's another parapsychologist at the university. Um, we kept on booking well ahead in our diaries to make sure we were both free at the same time to run it because it would require at least two or three hours during the day to make sure we could just collect data for one trial alone. Um, and he'd be free to be watching these randomly assigned video clips. And the idea was that when he's watching one of these video clips while I'm in the tank, the hallucinations might be attributed to what David is looking at. Oh, and then, and then after that was done, he'd then write down trial one is pool number 14, which contains four clips. All pools contain four clips, three decoys, and one is the actual target. Um, and then after that was done, they go off to uh, a judge, and that was Dr. Glenn Hitchman, another parapsychologist. He's the head of our psychology department. And so he'd judge them. He'd look at all my drawings and uh, writing for trial one, which is they were all in sealed envelopes as well. So he'd take out trial one, and he'd know that he has to watch for trial one, pool number six. And so he'd watch all four clips and look at my drawings and writing, and he'd rank order which one of those four clips best fits through to the worst, and we thought, for the sake of extra data, since it's a pilot, I'll judge my own clips as well, uh, my own oh, mentation. Cool. So I, I looked at everything. I went back through all my 12 trials again, um, got to watch all the videos, and I rated it as well, just to see what was going on. Even then, it was out of our own pocket largely. Um, SPR funding and some in departmental funding has bought us a tank to take it further, and Parrot Warwick funding. But this pilot was purely more so based on what are the visions like, what are the hallucinations like, and how well do they actually relate to... Was there a um, correlation? No, because it's too small. 12 is not enough trials to yeah. get any form of statistical... Well, thing. it's too small, but if you had a correlation, then that would certainly... Yeah, uh, it, it would, but highly unlikely, given the fact that it's a, a low number. Right. Um, but it would have been interesting. Scott Rogue only did four trials, which, again, that's even smaller. <laughs> that's only a third. And it, it's very, very small. And he said the main objective was to look at the, the practicalities and the methodology behind it. And it, it was the same for us. We realized that if we could do this in-house at the university rather than commercial centers, and we had something that we could have a bit more control over, where if we had participants going in, we could show that we're on hand in case there is an emergency. These commercial centers have got panic buttons rigged up and all sorts, stuff that's way beyond our, our budget. Um, and so we have got a portable tank that you can um, kind of set up. You can build it. It's a very rigid structure and then take down when you're finished with it. Um, but what we did, we did these 12 trials just for the sake of seeing what it was like. The qualitative feedback, though, was really good. For Glenn, he got four hits out of the 12. I got three hits out of the 12. So, again, not statistically significant, but when you look at what I drew and what I wrote about compared to the clip that we accurately identified on those ones, it's amazing. One of my favorite ones is um, I drew cogwheels, and I said there's cogwheels turning, and there's a bridge, and there's some water, and there's a load of cars. And then I've written other things as well, but that was quite significant. So Glenn saw it and said it's got to be this clip. I looked at it, and I said it's got to be this clip. And out of the four possible clips, the one that we both picked is a segment from the Blues Brothers, 
where you see <laughs> cog, cog wheels turning and it's lifting a suspension bridge on either side. So the bridge is parting in the middle and going up. And they decide to just go for it and they put their foot down, they drive over the bridge uh, after they've been queuing with a load of other cars. And that's all the clip contains. And so it was perfect. And when I've shown that to audiences, you know, you get a few gasps and jaw drops and we're like, you know, this is the kind of stuff that we're interested in. So we want to take so, it forward. So my question, I guess, would be, so he, he watched the clip. Is that correct? Um, so, yeah, originally David was watching that clip while I was in the tank and then okay. I did my drawing. So after so, it was all done and later down the line, Glenn looks at all four clips and my drawings having had nothing to do with the experiment. So if there, if that, say that particular one, how do you know what you're actually seeing? Are you seeing it because you're astral projecting or are you seeing it because he's tele, telepathically – uh, you're seeing – telepathically through his mind you can't tell uh, that can you uh, well what we argued in terms of a, a theoretical basis was technically david wasn't needed at all in that capacity of sitting down and having to watch the clips we've done dream okay. pre dream precognition trials where the computer is essentially just playing to itself those clips okay. and because it's an actual event that's happening if we're dreaming that night and a computer somewhere in the university is playing that then if ESP exists, we should be able to pick up on that information. It doesn't require someone there. Uh, but at the same time, it's even though David... Hang on, I'm getting there. Hang on. Even though David <laughs> is a good friend, um, mm -hmm. you know, that's not really how telepathy necessarily works. It usually is um, noted best and performs best within uh, blood relations or close people within your social unit as well. And I see David fairly often... Um, but he's not someone that I should really day-to-day -day have a telepathic experience about. It has to be close social unit. So really, it's more of a remote viewing experiment than a telepathic experiment. Okay. Go on, Go Steve. Go ahead, Steve. Well, the, span, the, the spanner that in the works I'm about to throw in was relating to these uh, randomly uh, chosen clips that are playing on computers. Yeah. Um, because you might have a computer <clears throat> playing in the department that's... Um, playing a selection of clips and then you go home and dream about them but um there are millions of people watching youtube clips simultaneously mm -hmm. around the world how how can you eliminate the possibility that what you're actually doing is telepathically telepathically linking with a youtube viewer somewhere and potentially you know, if you can't demonstrate that then it could be argued by some, uh, obviously not in the James Randi camp, that, yeah. telepathy, that telepathy is a constant. Don't speak ill of the He'll be on in a minute. I think he's in the second hour. Okay. Um, <laughs> that telepathy is, is a continual function. Well, I think that's really by the by, because it, even then, if you have picked up on someone that in the middle of the night decided to watch YouTube, and I'm sure there are many in the middle of the night doing so, oh, if yeah. then by the next morning you get into the lab and you're asked to watch the four potential clips... Uh, we judged them as an entire group, so we had to come to a collective decision when we did some recent dream precognition trials. There were seven of us, and um, it, it had to be that, that group decision on it. But you were only then limited to the confines of those four clips. So if you're still accurately identifying elements of the clip that go beyond what chance would expect overall, then it doesn't really matter where the information has come from. You're still gaining information, which has pushed you in the right direction. That has been well, what well, yeah. But the problem again, this problem here is subjectivity arises because you're making these seven people or group of individuals um, are making a judgment call based upon um, 
what they consider to be the best match between, or if there is a match between what you what you've doodled and what mm. what uh, what videos were selected in the trial. So yeah. you know, you but have then this. By, but then it is subjective to, in the first instance. But then by now, statistical standards, it takes it away from that because then you're beating the odds. Uh, Just throw well, him in a Faraday cage and you're not to worry. <laughs> well, we sat in one nearly. I mean, we were in the perception lab, so we we're in this big metal chamber and um, mm-hmm. door shut and airtight as well and soundproofed. Yeah, nobody could hear you scream. No. <laughs> I have problems with, the, with 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 some of these site experiments because I I don't think that, that the problem is nothing's perfect though, Steve. That's well, well. As, as speaking as a physicist, and there are lots of in, you know, there are lots of difficulties with physics experiments, and lots of areas within physics that that aren't understood. For example, simple things like gravity and magnetism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, physicists do not actually understand. The mechanisms of ma- uh, magnetism or gravity. They know what they do because they are acting on fixed bodies, and they can measure the effects, and they can they can stick spaceships, and you know they they can land things on asteroids because these are very predictable forces. Uh, but they don't understand actually what what's causing that force. Now I've I've suggested in the past um, I think to Cal. That we might be that psi, this this force, this potential force that, that that psychologists or parapsychologists are looking at, might be a force, a real physical force, akin to or similar to magnetism, but because it only manifests or affects a uh, upon a variable uh, body rather than a planet, a spacecraft, or an asteroid. It only manifests on, you know, affects the human mind. You have this infinite variability in the outcome. So you could actually be be dealing with a simple physical force, um, and just, you know, whereas uh, it's 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 the mode by which we are observing the effects of that force is causing the problems for us. How are you relating that to dream precognition? Yeah, I was just wondering that myself. <laughs> well, well <laughs> I was extrapolating from this problem that you're talking about, uh, you know, precognition or dream, dream, um, uh, or video clips or or, or mm. all of these psi experiments parapsychologists um, mm-hmm. like to involve themselves in. However, the the difficulty is, you you come down to a subjective. Um, statistical probability that what somebody thinks that what you saw uh, or what you drew is is similar to a video that may have been playing on a computer somewhere in a lab in a university. However, what you mm-hmm. may also have been picking up on or alternatively picking up on is somebody watching a film, perhaps a film on engineering, about cogs and wheels on a YouTube channel 35 miles north of Northampton. Mm-hmm. And you can't differentiate between either of those either of those possibilities. No, but that, I suppose that's the, that is the problem of, of Psy and how it acts as to, well, where does the so, information actually come from? That's what I um, just said. But, it, but in that setting, though, you've got a group of people that instead... That they've all been asleep, and then they have to come up with a group consensus, and they all have to state what their dreams are before them, and they even all see the the clip. So even though as a group it's all on a subjective basis, mm-hmm. um, the way in which the trial is set up, you are trying to rule out as many 
um, element of fraud, cheating, central leakage as you can. But the one thing that you can't rule out for is ultimately where that information that you've gained no, has come I, from. But I, the best of our abilities yeah, exactly. as parapsychologists or any other scientist exactly. is driven in that direction. So there's an element of subjectivity. There's also an element in subjectivity of the interpretation of the statistics. But the statistics mm -hmm. in themselves act objectively. You know, there'll be standard mathematical processes that we use, not just in that field, but in many other fields as well. So by those standards and where we are, it seems to be doing that. And, you know, it, it's doing the best it can from taking a lived real world experience of someone dreaming something and then it coming about to, right, well, how do we control for that? Then we have a, a group of clips. One of them will be a genuine one that will happen in the future randomly and it will play. You'll be dreaming every night. Do your dreams actually match an event that you're told to focus on? There is a computer in the lab. So when you go to sleep at night, tell yourself that you're going to in your dreams, walk into that lab space that you're familiar with, lean down and have a look at what's on the computer screen, because tonight it will be playing a clip. Um, and so you have to get yourself into that mindset. There's a lot of people that when they do dream diaries and they train themselves with dreaming, if they go to sleep telling themselves they're going to dream of something, they do. And that's even more prevalent with people that are lucid dreamers. They can control their dreams very well and make different things happen as well. So some element of it as well is actually, you know, it improves not only in the qualitative element, but also in the statistical element with practice as well. So, you know, th there are these other what-ifs as well, but they're quite impressive what-ifs because your alternative is, well, actually, ESP is still at play, but it's giving you a load of random information that wasn't actually relevant to the experiment, but lo and behold, by coincidence, they've matched up. Um, and so it's, it's like a form of displacement effect in a way. You, you know, you've, you've been successful, but the information hasn't come from the study. It's come from somewhere else, but it's by chance that ESP is matched together on this occasion. Is so it going fair for... to... Wait, wait, I'm sorry. I was going to say, is it fair to, to say, though, that uh, a large body of, of psychologists uh, disagree with um, your assessment and do not believe that Psi and ESP exist? Uh, they might do, but the only ones that I've ever spoken to or even read that kind of make those claims, they, they tend not to know the literature. There, there are some, that, and it's evident from when you actually say, okay, why? And then it becomes evident um, when they start talking about it. It's because they'll have knowledge of other things and they insist that because they know the other thing, it, it discounts parapsychology. Well, if you want to have a good argument, then read both sides of it. Don't just stick with what you know. Actually start tinkering what you claim to know and actually don't because you've not read it. Uh, but then there are people like um, uh, James Alcott. So that one of the recent big controversies was um, Professor Etzel Cardenia at Lund University. He wrote a really big paper for American Psychologist, which is very big over in the States. It's their equivalent to our um, Journal of Brit uh, British Journal of Psychology. And um, he did a paper that was the summary of parapsychology data to date and uh, looking mainly at meta-analyses, which are studies that look at a particular type of study, say on precognition, and all the studies that were successful and all the ones that were failures. But what's the overall effect? And actually, when you take most parapsychology studies and look at the overall effect, it's good and it's comparable to most psychology, um, if not better than some other areas of psychology as well. And Admittedly, getting something like that in a big publication out caused outrage, but only to the known armchair sceptics, those that don't conduct the experiments, don't know what it's like, but do know the literature and do like a good argument. So Jim, um, James Olcott came back with a, a colleague and decided to comment on this, but their response is just bizarre, and it's all based on theory, not empirical data like Etzel's paper. 
And they've just said, well, ultimately, none of this can be happening because, in theory, it shouldn't be. And that's where just arguments then took off with parapsychologists saying other things and saying, well, that's just the most stupid response. It even ended up with a whole issue of the Journal of Scientific Exploration with various people responding to that because um, American psychologists stopped the debate and they said, this is just turning into he said, she said. But mm -hmm. I think they saw the stupidity in what a good paper took him a long time to get it in. There's all the empirical data and evidence. And the only response is, well, I don't think it should be happening because it can't be because theories say it shouldn't be and therefore it isn't. That no other data to back it up. So going forward with your experience, your subjects, will they be screened? If so, how? Are you looking for a particular subject or a general subject? Yeah, a lot of people feel anxiety initially towards the tanks, but um, I've never really met anyone that's had a bad experience. Um, there, there have been scales applied called the highly sensitive person scale to look at um, how emotionally sensitive people are going in. Um, uh, Annette Shelgren, um, she does a lot of studies on flotation tanks, and uh, she's applied this before. People who are registered as highly sensitive after doing the scale get the most benefits. They find it very therapeutic and a positive experience. And people that aren't highly sensitive, they, they go in very confident towards the tank, unlike the highly sensitive person who's anxious, um, but they don't come out with as many benefits. So... Um, looking at things like uh, Scott Rogo and his pilot study and what other people have, have mentioned, Professor Charlie Tarr, we need people that are either regular meditators or have done the Gansfell before or are regular flotation tank users or have used them before and get those kinds of people involved because then it, it kind of sweeps away some of the initial anxieties towards the tank and they know what to expect. It's more so because if we only use them for one and only trial, um, they don't spend that hour just in awe and kind of lost in their own head in terms of what a weird environment to be in. This is something quite special. Well, we're actually trying to get them to do a task. So we need to, to get so kind of neutralized the environment that they forget that they're in a tank, focus on those hallucinations and tell us what you're experiencing. And I, I can admit to that because I went for a few kind of trial pilot trials uh, myself before we even started any study just so I could become familiar with the environment. And my first go, it was weird. And I, I have to say that I didn't really start hallucinating until my last 15 minutes because I was just in awe of this strange environment. So mm -hmm. you need people that are used to it or know what to expect. Okay, that makes sense. Does, how does that affect your study, though? In terms of? So, I mean, you're still looking for a correlation. So are you doing a psycho, psychological profile of the person prior to it? Oh, I see. Uh, no, fantastic. Good question. Uh, we will, um, in, like, in all likelihood, be presenting them with a questionnaire before they go in, which will look at things like uh, religiosity and paranormal belief and altered states of consciousness and the highly sensitive person scale. And then usually when we do things like the Gansfeld, after they come out, we'll give them a single just one page questionnaire about altered states, such as did you feel that time sped up or slowed down while you're in there and some, many other things that show to what degree did they actually enter what seems to be an altered state of consciousness. Besides that survey, though, we're also going to give them EEG um, head equipment. So they'll be having these waterproof headpieces that will be looking at their brainwave activity oh, cool. while they're in the tank. So we'll actually be able to directly measure that altered state as well. Excellent. Unfortunately, that, that was the bell, which you know. Which means we've got another hour. No, two minutes. <laughs> Of course, if you want to stay another hour, we've got another show. <laughs> yeah, all right, I'll hang around. Yeah. Does that mean I can go? Does that mean I can have an early night then? 
Thank you for a wee wee break. Yeah. Anyways, Cal, uh, you know what? What? So you you got, I assume. Well, we, we've been talking with uh, Cal Cooper, a parapsychologist. I know I'm running out of time, and I got more questions, so forget it. <laughs> Anyways, uh, well, is he, is he staying or not? Yeah. Well, you want to stay? Uh, yeah, I could. I could a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I there guess you he's staying then. There <laughs> All right, so stay tuned for the second hour of Ghost Chronicles Radio. We will now be joined by Cal Cooper as well as Steve Parson and, of course, my co-host, Ian. So that'll be a foursome. Whoa. For a little bit. I'll be about for a little bit. Yeah, that's fine. That's just cool bit. enough. Yeah, I know, because you're a young boy. You need your beauty sleep. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. So, uh, Cal, any, any, uh, if people want to find out more information about you, how could they do that? Um, they write to the Steve Parsons fan dream club. About uh, Just Box, dream about him. Just dream about him. Or dream. PO Box 11666. No, um, go to com or my Twitter page, which is the same, at Callum E. Cooper. And on there you can find all information about me, books, and how to contact me as well. Excellent, excellent. And if you go onto my Facebook page in uh, uh, after tomorrow, unless uh, our meeting, our conversation goes well tomorrow, I'll put a picture of Callum's bare bottom on the. No, page. you won't. Yes. Anyways, this page taken in his bedroom. I don't even want to know about this. It was taken on the stairs, Callum. There are stairs. Went. There are stairs in Steve's bedroom to get up to his bed. Maybe it was astral projecting. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Anyways, uh, we do got to wrap it up. So you'll, you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles well. International with Steve Parson and Ron Kolek. Our special guest is Cal Cooper. And we'll be right back. At, well, actually, uh, stay tuned for the second hour of Ghost Chronicles Radio with Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. Good night. God bless. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good Lord.